Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord and those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. We are in the gospel according to Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark's gospel chapter 14. We will stand in a moment and take verses 22 through 31. If you all would shout out, ready, once you're there. No, don't, don't do that. <laughs> would you stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Beginning at verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when... He had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, You will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Please be seated. Handling Christians. I started to entitle it Handling Peter. But then I I saw some of you in these words. (laughs) I saw us, we Christians. Handling Christians from communion to contention. That's what happened. As we, before I start and talking about Mark, as we gather Sunday after Sunday, and the world outside is ablaze, as it always is, I am reminded of what Paul said to the Romans while he lived in Corinth. It applies to the world right now. It is applied to the world through the ages. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, and he continues, Paul does. And here we are this Sunday morning. We are focused on Jesus Christ not the blaze that is going on outside, though the people that are there, hopefully, are on our hearts. Uh, We have his passion. His passion was to save souls, and it still is to save souls. When John the Apostle started that first chapter of his gospel, he talked a bit first about John the Baptist. And he says in the seventh verse of John's Gospel, chapter 1, he says, This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. John is saying that John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, was all about getting people to 
believe in Jesus Christ. And our mission is identical in that regard. And God has not left it entirely up to his people or his pastors, of which we are his people also. He's not left it up up to us to decide what to address in the church, not entirely. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one through whom God makes himself available to us through God the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is every bit of God as is the Father and as is the Son. And uh, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will give you the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. He's going to preach me. And that's what John was saying, that we would, that all would believe. That's what John said, that all would believe. Now, all will not believe. We're after the ones who will. We just don't know who they are. Personally, I know everyone's social security number. I just don't know who they go with. That's the hard part. God, the Holy Spirit, occupies himself with testifying of Jesus Christ. And so must we. And so, again, while the world is doing its thing, we're not in here talking about that word that starts with a C and ends with a 19 and all the other things going on. We're talking about Jesus Christ because all these things are going to pass away, but he will not. The Holy Spirit is the substitute on earth for the bodily presence of this Jesus whom we preach. He is the unseen presence of Jesus Christ, and he testifies of Christ, and if God the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ, then so must I. And that's why Paul said, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, that all would believe. That's what we are about, and we have no plan B, and we're quite proud of that. In the world, we have plan B and C for things that may not go the way we plan, but not when it comes to our theology about Jesus Christ and the mission that he has entrusted the church with. So uh, that is why we are going to talk about the Gospel of Mark and take verses 22 through 31. Looking at 22 again, verse 22, um, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Luke adds a very important note to this in his Uh, rendering of the story, he says that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Mark omits that, Mark and Matthew, but Luke puts it in for us. Paul echoes that when he is trying to teach those Henri Corinthians how to do church because they messed it all up. I mean, he had to, you know, he gently but thoroughly scolded them. At one point, you know, Paul, Paul says, I know going down a rabbit trail, but it's a fun trail. Uh, Paul says, you know, if someone smacks you in the face, you're fine with that. But if I preach the gospel to you, you've got a big problem. Ah, man, that tra- I don't like the Corinthians, most of them, uh, as they were. Fortunately, when we get to heaven, all that stuff will be gone. But looking at the record, it's so much in there to learn about ourselves. And so he writes to the Corinthians, echoing Luke, when he, Jesus Christ, had given thanks, he broke it, that is the bread, and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is very important to the communion table and to Christianity. 
Jesus made his death the central matter of his work. He's talking about his death. He says, I want you to remember the cross. Not his life, not his miracles, not his teachings, hear me out, but his death. Now we have to have his life, his teachings, his miracles. We must have those things. But what good are they if he doesn't die for us on the cross and take away our sin? It is no good. It's nothing. But now it is everything. It's all come together just as the prophets said it would. The emphasis lie upon our redemption. That is what the communion table is. It is a sermon to the world, to hell, to the angels, to each other. Christ died for sinners. He did not stop loving humans when they became sinners. If he did, Adam and Eve would never have made it out of the garden alive. And so this is a sermon, the communion table that we're talking about. And so the, the disciples, they don't get that yet. This is what Paul writes about the communion table in 1 Corinthians again. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, that he's coming again and that he has died evidently means he is risen, he is alive. That's what we do when we come to the communion table. We're supposed to preach by, by the act of communion, the simple, seamless act of communion. It is profound to God, it is profound to the angels, and it is profound to us. It does not need to be embellished. It does not need something to hold it up or make it look better than what it is because it cannot be done. It would be like painting gold. And uh, so here we are. He's talking about the communion table. Now, at this point, it's difficult. It is difficult to determine if Judas has left the room when Jesus institute this, institutes this table of communion. I, I think the answer is in the scripture, and I'm going to get to that. John is the only one that records the departure of Jesus, but John does not pinpoint the moment that Judas left the room. We know the faithful 11 were there, but Luke, Luke rings in again. And Luke implies that Judas did participate. And when we get to verse 23 of this morning's session in Mark, we, we, as we just read a moment ago, all took all partook. Well, here's what Luke says. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you, verse 21 of Luke 22. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. He's there. You might not like that. We'll open that up a little bit. If he did remain, his hypocrisy and his crime is even more appalling. That he would be at the communion table, depart the communion table, and betray Christ. Did Paul have Judas in mind when he warned the churchgoers at Corinth? Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner... Will be, guilt, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, and making them a murderer, a crucifier. He continues, 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. Where he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Did he have Judas in mind? I think he did. Based on what Luke just said, the hand of my betrayer is here. Communion is a sacred act to us. That's why Satan infiltrates it. Surprise! Who is surprised by that? Who would be surprised that Satan would target the most sacred things that we have in this life? He won't be able to get to them in the next one, but right now he can. And while he can defile a heart, he cannot defile this table. And Judas, he, uh, he chose to be a traitor. But he wasn't the last traitor to be at the communion table down through the centuries. But the presence of Christ sanctifies the table for those who come and for those who believe. Within hours, Jesus, the true Passover, will be slain in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, which is the expression of the will of God. And he will fulfill this, these prophecies concerning uh, his uh, substitutionary death on our behind. Uh, behind. That is a word, right? In behalf. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So, so don't be, if Jesus was at the table, don't let that bother you. What does it have to do? If you're a believer, that's what matters. What Paul was telling the Corinthians. Let a man examine himself. This substitutionary death of Christ, in other words, instead of bringing the lamb to be sacrificed, God provided his lamb as a substitution. Instead of having me be sacrificed for my sins, God provided his son to be a sacrifice to take my judgment, my penalty upon me. And the substitutionary death is what Christ is now saying. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, this is a very big deal. That's what Christ is saying. Without, without the death on the cross, what are we left with? Paul said that about the resurrection. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is for nothing. It is in vain. Romans chapter 15. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The perfect sacrifice. The perfect substitute. And so a new feast is replacing the old one. That's what Christ is doing. So, we, you know, we're sitting here for the Passover meal. This will be the last one that will be authorized by God. Now it is the communion table. Now the Passover will resume with, in a memorial, uh, you know, bloodless sacrifices in the millennial reign to memorialize this. Because, again, there will be sinners born during the millennial age. They will need to believe in Jesus Christ. They will need to understand that he died for sinners. It will not be until there's a new heaven and new earth when there are no more sinners being born. But until then, uh, this has everything to do with people. Uh, so the new feast, 
of communion, replacing the old feast of the Passover. Consider the two symbols, and they're just two, the bread and the cup. And they're all about Christ. They're not about anybody else. But his sacrifice, the bread that he broke, no one broke him. He offered himself. No one killed him in its truest sense. He gave up the spirit. His body torn apart by scourge, nail, and spear. His body was broken in that sense. His blood poured out in the same because of the same things. Because of the scourge, the nail, and the spear. A graphic picture he painted, which no disciple forgets. He says, take, eat, this is my body. They had already received a sermon on this. We read about it in John chapter 6. They should have been ready for this. Because at that time, many people, as we would say today, left the church. Maybe they were preoccupied with that. Maybe they were preoccupied when Jesus said, I've chosen you to be my disciples and one of you is a devil. And they missed the point. Either way, they have no sight of it now. Verse 23, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. Well, I said they have no sight of it. They have a little bit of it, but not as much as we have because we have a fuller record. We've watched the whole thing take place. They weren't ready for his death, but they were accepting the idea of this is my body and this is my blood. And on, in verse 23 where he says, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. Uh, the Roman Catholics are known to call this the Eucharist, which simply means to give thanks in the Greek. I prefer communion. I disagree with them on everything. Uh, everything concerning Christ, I do. Uh, it is categorical. But uh, anyway, he gave it to them. It is his to give. It was his body to give. And he gives it to us. So communion is a big deal for us. Don't, don't think that you need to have, you know, we need special music. We need spe no, we need to be together and pass the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. They all drank. And as I said, I believe Judas drank too. Many commentators don't share that view. Um, I, I like when they're wrong and I'm right. It makes me feel superior, and I need that for my self-image. <laughs> I um, hope nobody's taking me too seriously with that. Uh, verse 24, And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. A, a, co a new covenant which the nation Israel currently rejects, the people of Israel. Individual Jews can be saved and are saved. They are part of this covenant. But overall, Israel is not interested. They think Christ was... Uh, a lot of things that are not very good. Jesus is fulfilling, just in one instance, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one, where he tells the Jewish people, Behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, that will not happen until the millennial reign for the house of Israel, the house of Judah, but it will, it has happened for believers of Jesus Christ. That's Jeremiah 31, 31. Incidentally, if you're not aware of this, 
The word covenant and testament are the same word. Uh, it is, uh, the, you know, your last will and covenant, and your agreement to this is what I want happen, to happen with my belongings. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, in that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. That's where I said earlier that this is the last Jewish Passover that God is accepting as a Passover. Uh, after this, it is the communion because he's made the other one obsolete. Uh, the, again, once I know I've been repeating this and it's necessary. That's what the whole entire letter to the Hebrews is about. Stop practicing Judaism if you're a Christian. You're a Christian now. We don't do that. Our perfect sacrifice is in Christ. He is our Passover. A better covenant than the Mosaic covenant. Uh, so that, uh, just in case. But back to this, this is my blood. Blood is uh, dis, a distasteful topic in, in general. I mean, uh, when, you, when you see blood, the first thing you ask, is it me? Uh, you know, because if somebody's leaking. And you don't want it to be you. The second thing, if it is you, is how bad is it? And if it's the other person, the second thing is, boy, I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> then how bad is it? Because blood is a big deal. It's, you know, you go, fire, fire. We all notice fire. You go into a restaurant and if they have little candles on the table, you notice that. Even though you don't, you know, look at, you know, the candles. Uh, subconsciously, you know it's there. Blood is more so. Uh, it's... Again, a distasteful topic. Would you rather visit a greenhouse or a slaughterhouse? <laughs> Years ago, I had a friend. He, we, we, uh, one assignment for him was a slaughterhouse in Pennsylvania. So he's telling me the story. He says, so I, I went to, the, you know, to see the, made a customer a call, and they offered me a tour. And I said, I'll take it. And they said, a nurse gave the tour. Well, why is that? Because people faint. When they see what happens to these cows, uh, they faint. Not all of them. He didn't. He said, I held it together, but that skinning part was pretty rough. Uh, so, again, the blood, the gore. Uh, it's, when you see blood, it, it's serious, like a leak on a submarine. That's a serious thing. I mean, everybody in the sub knows if you're seeing a leak, you don't just say, ah, it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's a big deal. Uh, so it is with blood. And God never meant that we should be ignorantly pleased with the word blood. Um, I mean, if you need a transfusion, you're, in that sense, you're pleased. But still saying there's something wrong. The sight of blood is, is a sermon in itself preaching to humanity. Something is not right here. And death can be closer than you think. The first mention in Scripture and human history of blood, uh, it comes uh, in the context. It surrounds a crime scene. It is when Abel killed his, uh, was killed by his brother Cain. And God confronts Cain, the murderer. And remember, it was not long after they were, went to worship that this murder took place. In Genesis 4, God asked Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, blood is implied, 
when the animals were skinned to cover the nudity, which was an emblem of their sin, Adam and Eve, it's implied there, but the first time it is explicitly stated is there at this crime scene. Violence being done to God's word by Adam and Eve and by Cain. Medically and theologically, it symbolizes trouble and hope. That's what blood is. It is a big deal. It reminds the sinner that sin is deadly, that it will bleed them out if something is not done. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 28, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for remission of sins. And so again, while the world is out there trampling on God's planet, uh, committing forgery by saying he didn't do it, he didn't create this, it somehow happened, just in violation to reason, which is the norm now, because as we look at how this thing that starts with a C and ends with a 19, we see how it's handled. We say they don't care about science. They don't care about reason. They, don't, they just care about whatever they care about, and that is their control and power and madness. Wouldn't it be great if at the highest levels of government we had people on their knees praying to the Lord Jesus? What a difference that would make. That will be the case in the millennial reign, uh, largely, uh, when we come back as kings and priests, representatives of the Lord uh, in a global ministry that we will have. Anyway, tragically, God's blood is wasted on too many. Hebrews 10, verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Man, Paul's laying it on, isn't he not? But there he is talking about the communion table. The plan of God has always kept blood in religion ever since sin. Exodus chapter 24, at the giving of the law, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which Yahweh has made with you according to all these words. Well, that's the old covenant. And that's the covenant that Jeremiah said would be replaced but Israel and Judah's not ready for it right now, although on an individual level they are. By blood, humans live and die. Exodus 17, blood is the life of the animal. It's human motor oil. Um, you, you, without it, everything seizes up and stops working completely. And by the blood of Christ, we can be saved from death. I haven't even got to Peter's stupidity. We better speed this up. So if you can turn your listening aids, hearing aids, onto New York mode, I think I can still do it. <laughs> you just get the messages and play them in slow motion. Isaiah 53. I mean, the Bible's just all over this. That's where I'm going. God is just all over these. It's over 400, some count up to 500 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, not counting so many types of prophet, prophecies fulfilled and implied. It's just it's so much. The Holy Spirit says, I'm on this. I've got this. I'm going to bake it into the Bible and it will be there. It will be a meal. It'll be, it will be the bread of God for all those who would take it.
And that's why I'm reading these verses. These cross-references aren't casual. None of them are. They come alongside the story and they insist. They demand the verdict from the hearer. Which side are you on? Are you with Christ? Do you see his word is so solid? Or are you an outsider and content to be an outsider with your sins on you? So Isaiah, that 53rd chapter, and Isaiah saw more concerning the Messiah than any of the prophets. Well, at least he records more. more. Uh, Isaiah 53, talking about the crucifixion of Christ, he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we're made whole. By his stripes that broke the skin, poured out the blood, we are healed. And so Mark 10, verse 45, once again, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life ransom for many. So John the Baptist says that everybody couldn't believe him. That's what John wanted. What do you want, John? I want people to believe that he is the Christ. The one who was before me and is preferred before me. He is self-existent. John was chronologically older than Jesus Christ. But not self-existence. Christ, of course, existed long before uh, the birth in Bethlehem. He is eternal from eternity past, being God the Son. Verse, 40, verse 25 now Jesus speaking, assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Well, um, this assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit. Now, that's the bread, too. He's not going to take the table. This Mark has reduced it to uh, the, the fruit of the vine. Luke says this. I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So it is no omission uh, in thought, just the, the details just not written down in one gospel, but it's found in the other. Ergo, the, the great uh, benefit of cross-reference. Anyway, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to have this blood and cup, until the millennial kingdom comes. That's, that's how I see this. I'm not the only one. I'm going to stop saying that so you can just think it's me. And, and boy, he's pretty full of himself. And then when you say something to me, I can bust you. Say, I'm not the only one. <laughs> anyway, there will be the, those commemorative bloodless sacrifice in the millennial age. You can read about that in Ezekiel 43 and 45 where the sacrifices are taking place. But... They're, they're pointless, in, in, as in Hebrews, you know, Paul's saying, they're just, Christ is our perfect sacrifice. That's a whole study on itself. Either way, here we go. Uh, Jesus, again, authorizing this Passover until he returns for communion of the believers. Verse 26 now. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out, to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives in the outskirts of Jerusalem, just across the Kidron Valley and up the hill, and there you are, the olive press. Uh, there aren't that many olive groves there anymore, but it is still there, and you can see the city from there. 
Uh, that's, of course, where the Garden of Gethsemane is and where he will be arrested. Where that uh, uh, the ugly kiss of Judas will be planted on him. Uh, the Jews, where he says here, and they s- had sung a hymn. The Jews take Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and these were the psalms they would sing at the Passover. Jesus joined his disciples. He's going to teach them scripture. He's fellowshipping with them. They're having communion. And they, he prayed. When he took the bread, he gave thanks. He prayed. So we have Acts 2.42 in motion in just this, this one little section here. Uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and uh, prayer, for fellowship, and, and the breaking of bread, which is the communion table. But this group of psalms contains statements befitting the events that are about to unfold for Jesus. So we'll take a few of them. We don't know what psalms of the 113 through 118 that he, they did sing. We know they did sing at least one as they left. Maybe he did psalm, what we know as Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his saints. You see, it would be befitting with the cross lying just hours away. Psalm 118, I'll take verses 6, 22, 27, hike. It sounds like a call, quarterback call. Uh, Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That would have been an appropriate part of the song before the cross. Or how about this? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And then one of my favorites in relation to this, and I mean it is profound, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. All of this has to do with him. He's singing with them, knowing he's going to suffer for them, for us. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 if we try to put ourselves in his place, how do you see yourself? If you were going on death row in just hours... For a crime you did not do, would you be preaching the gospel? I think many, I think most born again Christians, if not all, all would be doing that. Me, I might be the exception. I'd be thinking of how to get out of that jail. It's like, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it would, you know, we have examples of this in Paul. Paul said, "Pray for me that I could preach with boldness." He didn't say, "Pray for a good lawyer." He's pray for me. I'm here in prison. I'm God's prisoner. That's why, you know, God's bondservant, God's prisoner, that's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He did not consider himself a prisoner of Rome. Uh, and so we should also not lose sight of who we are in this world. Anyway, our New Testament, it emphasizes what is inward, what is spiritual. There's, there's no way around that. But that's not all it does. It leaves a place for those things that are tangible, those physical things about us. Not only the inner man, but the outer man and, and his, his senses. They're ministered to also. And singing does that, which Christ did with his disciples. The meal did that very thing. It's not all spiritual. That's primary. But there are just other things about us. It's okay. It's okay to enjoy things. They build us up. You know... If, if you're doing a budget for yourself, uh, you should leave some space for fun. 
I, I mean, it, it, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy and can drive you nuts. It's okay to do that. I, years ago, as a young man, I, I, God put this a, a accountant in my life who, who just did so much for me to get me to Virginia and be, be able to preach. And um, we're laying out a budget. <laughs> and he said, you got to have some money here for just you. And it was wise advice. Trying to be the stoic. I know some of you husbands are like, don't say it. Don't. <laughs> well, maybe the wives are saying it. Don't say it. Because yeah, the men can be brutal too. Look, I just bought the new boat. It's, oh, man. Uh, so, <laughs> it's, uh, you know what they say, love, comes in, uh, love goes out the window when poverty comes in the door. So, watch out for those things. <laughs> We're all born with a full sack of luck and an empty sack of experience. And the goal is to fill that sack of experience before the sack of luck runs out. And I don't believe in luck as the world believes. But I I am saying you've got to experience things. You can do them by putting your hands on it and getting them gnarled, or you can perceive. I prefer perception. I, you know, when I hear somebody say, hold my beer, I'm not holding it. I'm getting away from that person. It's just uh, that person does not perceive. Anyway, so our Lord, he goes to Gethsemane. But how does he go? Fortified. The communion table, his disciples with him. He knows the traitor is loose. He knows what's coming. But he is a fortified man. He has allowed his inner man and his outer senses the tangibles, to be ministered to. Verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. No exceptions. All of you. This is the word of Christ. It is the word of Scripture. It is a twofold witness here. He could have just said, All of you. But he says, As it is written. He's going, he puts that in. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me, for it is written. And we'll get to the written part in a moment. No exceptions. They will scatter in panic, simply leaving the Lord to do his perfect work, but not without messing things up a little bit. I'm not going to go into that because we have so much other to talk about, uh, other information. He says, For it is written. Yet another fulfilled prophecy, uh, as I mentioned, one of hundreds. Zechariah 13, verse 7 is what he is quoting here. Now, in Zechariah chapter 11, God addresses the false shepherd, Antichrist, ultimately. But here in chapter 13 of Zechariah's prophecy, he's now addressing Messiah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. And the Hebrew word for companion, translated companion, like New King James, is actually the equal. So the father is speaking about Messiah, and he is calling him his equal here in Zechariah 13. That's a bonus. Won't charge you for that one. Uh, Anyway, uh, says Yahweh of hosts. Incidentally, one of the Hallel Psalms that they would sing said, Yahweh is God. So we don't lose sight of that either. So where it says Yahweh here is God. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And that's the persecution that, of course, is followed. So <clears throat> there we have Jesus quoting Scripture. 
Now, we have to remember, they've never witnessed him fail. He's always, I mean, he's walked on water, he's stopped storms, he's cleansed lepers. He just, I mean, Christ could just go into a hospital and just empty the place with just, you know, everybody's okay now. And everybody get up and go. It's incredible. But now they're going to see him fail. They're not, so they, they can't get their heads around this easily. Uh, anyway, it wasn't up to them to understand. They had been exposed to enough of him to submit, just like you and I. We have been exposed to enough logic from Scripture that we're just off to obey now. There's no more trying to convince me. You know, Satan coming along, having in the early stages of your faith, Perhaps you read the Bible looking for contradictions. That's okay. You work through that. But as you start eliminating those contradictions, you get to the point where you say, okay, we're done with this. Now I will reconcile it for theological purposes, but I don't doubt the word of God anymore because doubt brings confusion and confusion brings weakness and weakness can bring disaster. And we're going to see that in just one moment. So, They don't have to understand what he's saying. They have to submit, which they do not. A thought-provoking point. Jesus says, because of me. You will all be made to stumble because of me. Uh, That is, all the martyrs through the ages, all the believers who have accepted the hazards of following Jesus Christ, Understand that it is written, that and God's word is true, and it is because of him that they suffer persecution, and he's worth it. Ergo the word worship. So, uh, here, had Peter listened to what the Lord was saying, quoting scripture, instead of having his feelings overrule the Lord and scripture, he would have been ready. He would have been ready in Gethsemane, and he was not ready in Gethsemane, and he was not ready through that night. Verse 28, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, they're uh, they're not listening to that part, especially Peter. Peter is like, huh? What do you mean we're going to forsake you? I'm not the traitor. I'm not the guy you were talking about when he dips with me. That's not me. I stopped eating. After that, <laughs> I don't know if he did that, but I, as I mentioned, I would have. I would not have had anything else for a week. Well, milkshakes, uh, but that's not eating. Verse twenty-eight. Again, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now he's in Jerusalem, but his heart is in Galilee. Jerusalem is where they were sophisticated, cynical, snobbish, deadly. Galilee, uh, they weren't so. In Jerusalem, they were religious people there who stoned God's people. What a thought. You know, you look at history and how much you know, religion. Imperial Japan, what drove them? Religion, Shintoism, we're superior. Everybody else needs to be our slave. Now, not the only one. This won't take time and all that. <clears throat> Galatians, chapter 2, verse 12. This is after the church is born, after Christ has been crucified in heaven, years later, in fact, a couple of decades later. Christians from Jerusalem came up to Antioch in Syria, where the church was thriving and the Gentiles were getting saved, and Christians from Jerusalem came up and caused problems. And Paul, he got involved. This is very important. 
Because Christianity almost died that day. That would have been the end of Christianity had Paul not stood up to these men. Christianity would just have been a sect of Judaism. And we're nothing like Judaism. We have the same roots. And then we jettison. Galatians 2, he says, For before certain men came from James. James led the church in Jerusalem. Talking about Peter and Barnabas. He would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Oh, they were mostly, many of them were educated men. Well, or should I say formally educated men. And Peter was not formally educated according to the rules of men. And I think it bothered him in his earlier years of ministry. He probably felt intimidated. These guys come up and they're scholars. They can pronounce words he can't pronounce. They can, they can solve math equations that he can't solve. They can't fish, though. And they can't cut people's ears off. Peter can do that. But he didn't think about it. And I, I know what it's like to feel like, you know what, they're, they're more formal. But then, but then I know that anointing just blocks everything out. Anointing is just, it just dissolves. It can take the most brilliant man and make him a superhero. It can take the most ignorant fisherman and make him an equal superhero. And we see that in John and Peter and Paul and others. And so that's why Peter... I'm sure, caved as he felt outgunned and the pressure of that. But Paul didn't have that. Paul couldn't care less about anybody who messed with Christianity. I mean, the man was just a terminator. If you, you got in his way, you know, fine. They want to be circumcised and he would just go off. All right, I went off too. Verse, verse 29 now, keeping this in mind. So the Lord said that... Uh, you're all going to stumble, but after I'm raised, I'll see you in Galilee. They don't bring up Galilee. All they're going to bring up now is this thing about the stumbling. Sermons are like that, are they not? pastor could say one thing, one thing wrong. And, oh, not in this church, because you all know we will taser you on the greeting line. <laughs> but other churches don't have taser materials. Anyway, uh, <laughs> What, we can't have fun with things? Yeah, we can. So I'm telling you that budget. you got to put a little fun in there. Uh, verse 29, Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Again, his, his emotions were always right there. You never had to dig for them. Paul, you might have to dig a little bit. Not Peter. John, John not Peter. Again, this probably grew out of speculating who the traitor was. They still don't know it's Judas. They won't find that out until he is actually arrested. However, he just heard from the prophets through scripture. The prophets have said, you're going to stumble. He just heard it from the Lord of scripture, who did more miracles than anybody put together. He's still not getting that part. He did not care for the Lord's application of the scripture. That's what it comes down to. I heard you, Lord, preach on Zechariah 13, and I didn't care for how you handled the text. Yeah, well, Paul says this to the Corinthians again, because they needed to hear it. If I seem like I am picking on the Corinthians church, I am. I, just, I, feel, I feel bad. They messed with Paul. They made his life miserable. They, they were filled with the Spirit in many areas, and, and not all of them, just a good amount of them. And the rest were just 
They needed a they needed a beatdown, and uh, he did you know with his letters, but it broke his heart so many times. Anyway, First Corinthians four, Paul says that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. And that's what he's telling, that's what Peter needed to hear. So the letter wouldn't be written for another 20 years or so, but that's what Peter needed to hear. Peter, Jesus said this is scripture, it applies to you. Don't think beyond what is written, and certainly don't think beyond what the Lord has said. Love does not excuse overruling the Bible. You can't say, well, I love Jesus so much, I can disagree with him. Or the Bible. Love does not excuse overruling the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we're looking at. Peter is saying, I love you so much, I will never betray you. It's, it's anathema to Peter for anybody to think that there's a, 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 an iota of disloyalty towards Christ. But that's not what it's about, Peter. There's more to it. It's not one thing. And then I'll say, unless I forget, Peter is no coward. None of these men were cowards. And I'll bring, hopefully, you'll agree with me if for your own sake. Because when you get to heaven, you know, God's going to say, you went to Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville? Wow. Come on in. <laughs> And then you start hearing him say that about other churches, too. You say, oh, man, I thought I was special. Anyway, this is the Holy Spirit warning us all. Let not our views overrule the word of God or God. This is Peter at his worst. Yes, this is it's the second time he's pulled this kind of a move. But this one is devastating. The other one was bad. But this one is hard to recover. Last time, it was Satan voicing his disdain for redemption. Oh, you're not going to die, Lord. Be it far from you. And Peter, you're, you're actually arguing against your own salvation. Uh, he didn't know he was. He did later. This time, though, it is the flesh. It is his carnal nature. Thinking that he has somehow superior knowledge to God's word and to God. That is what's going on here. Again, 1 Corinthians, that you may learn not to think beyond what is written. And then Paul goes on, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one another against one another. And he is puffed up against the Lord right now. This is so great a train wreck for Peter. This self-exaltation. That it caused the Lord to put Peter back together in three phases, three miraculous steps the Lord had to use to get him back on track. The first step was after Peter betrayed the Lord and denies him at the... Not betrayed, pardon me. I take that back, and that's not what I meant. Once he denies the Lord, because he never traded, the third time, the, the rooster crows, Jesus looks right at Peter. That look was not wasted. They made eye contact. Peter went out and wept like a baby uncontrollably. It just he was devastated. That was the first phase of putting him back together because the look we know was a look of love, the look of understanding, not condemnation, or else there would have been no uh, restoration of Peter. The next phase 
was when the Lord rose from the dead, Peter had a private session with the Lord. That was, he still wasn't back together. The third phase came when they were by the sea, and Jesus asked him three times, Do you love me, Peter? And Lord, do you, do you, Peter, do you, do you have that devout love for me? Lord, you know I love you, but I don't have as much love as I thought I had. Peter, do you have that? And three times, and finally, of course, the Lord says, Do you have love for me? And Peter, you know I love you. Peter was humble, but he was put back together. And, uh, you know, just we benefit so much from this man and his silly questions throughout Scripture. He's such a benefit to us. Anyway, the Lord never called any of these men cowards because they will stumble this night. Then why? Why not? Because it wasn't fear of men that caused them to run. It was confusion of the will of God. Peter was ready to die. He pulls out his sword. I mean, I think he just proved when he swung that sword against this sizable force that had come out to arrest the Lord, he didn't care about himself. It was only the Lord Jesus. Uh, he would have never warmed himself by the enemy's fire. He would have been hiding somewhere under his blanket. But no, there he is following the Lord after his arrest. Confusion weakens us. He didn't know what to think. He went to fight for the Lord. The Lord told him, he who lives by the sword perishes by the sword. Put it away, Peter. That's not how we do business. What was he left with after that? How about us today? You look at the insanity coming out of otherwise and people who know how to order coffee in coffee shops. I mean, that weird stuff, coffee. They know how to do that. It's always impressive. Okay, maybe you're not the, maybe I'm the only one that just likes coffee without all the other stuff. But, uh, but other than that, they, when it comes to morality and government, they're morons. And, and we're, if we have to fight it in our heart to not want to take arms against them and do some, you know what, we have a solution for these people. But Jesus says, no, you don't. That's not how you do it. And then what happens? We're confused. Unless we know the word and know what our role is. This is where these men were. They could not fight with swords. What was left for them? They, Pentecost had not come. Verse 30. I, I could go on, but we are, we're already out of time. But I'm going to squeeze out a little bit more if that's okay. Verse 30. <laughs> like, who's going to object and not everybody look at you, right? Sorry. Jesus said to him, verse 30, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter's resolve will dissolve. That's what's going to happen. But where he says three times, it's brutal to watch. Imagine staring. I mean, it's brutal for us to watch this. Peter, he's picking you apart. Submit. Shut your mouth. He doesn't do that. It's like an adolescent. And the dad says, hey, be quiet. And kick, 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 kick. And then the next thing you know, the kid's on the moon, wondering how he's going to get down. <laughs> you push dad's button. Uh, anyway, not once, not twice, but three times. He says, Peter, you're going to, you're going to do this denial thing. And, uh, Peter, I know you think you n know what you're saying, but you don't, and I do. Um, this... It is brutal to watch this. Verse 31, here he is arguing with Christ now. After the communion table, 
He's up in the Lord's face arguing with him. Man, that's scary. I know you all have never left church and gotten into an argument with anybody on the road, in the car, or maybe grumbling. You know, they used to be said, most people go home after church and have roast pastor. Um, you know, that's an old saying. I didn't come up with it. Vernon McGee did. Anyway, though, I don't know. But I can blame him. He's not going to, like, come and get me. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Verse uh, 31 now we are up to. But he spoke more vehemently. And he's going on. He's on a rant. That's what that means. If I have to die with you, I will, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Stubborn human love for Christ can morph very quickly into stupid love. And we're seeing it happen right here. He loved the Lord, but it was, it was, now it was in the carnal phase. He had, you know, turned the switch to auxiliary love. And there is not to be an auxiliary love. No plan B when it comes to things like that. And he will vehemently deny the Lord, too. Carnality says, he's my Savior, but he's not always my Lord. That is a carnal Christian. Why call him God if he does not know what he's talking about? Why is he the Savior, Jesus Christ, if he doesn't know what he's doing? I said, because it hurts. That's why. That's why I fuss back at Christ, because it hurts. When Christ says, well, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. My reward is with me. You'll be paid for this. And we say, when? He says, oh, maybe after you die. We say that's too long. That's why unions. We have, <laughs> that's why we have trade unions. So anyway, he says, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. He's out of control. He's stubborn. He's angry. He's incensed that the thought of him not standing up for Christ. And he's still very wrong. And all said likewise. Why not just keep quiet? Let Peter, <laughs> let Peter be the one. Peter is telling this story to Mark. And he wants Mark to know, listen, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> That's what he's doing. And he's true. I mean, he's not lying, but he just wants it on record. That's why Matthew and Matthew doesn't root. Don't bring it up. <laughs> anyway, just because Jesus lets Peter have the last word does not mean Peter is right. He is a know-it-all adolescent. There are those who grew up in the church and they boast as they don't follow Christ anymore. They, they grew up in a good church, many of them. And those that come out of a good church say, yeah, I grew up in a, good, in a church. Yeah, I grew up in the church. What a smug little thing. But you never became a grown-up in the church. That's the problem. You stayed a little teensy-weensy, teensy-tiny. Non-saint. Instead of just... Stop agreeing, disagreeing with Christ. Submit. The Lord did not take back what he said. He said, well, Peter, I didn't know you were that serious about it. Okay, okay. You're not going to stumble. No, he, he sticks by it. Christ was not impressed by what Peter said. He let him have it. Man, what a lesson for me. Did I say something? Did I do something that Christ just said? Okay, fine. I don't want that to happen. I want him to say, well done. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, thank you uh, always. So grateful for the things you point out to us. 
they're irrefutable. They're just like, man, that is so right. We love you, God, for your kindness towards us. When we're wrong, when we're adolescent in our, or juvenile in our behavior, you're patient with us. You don't back down. You don't agree with us when we're wrong. You are magnificent. And we pray that uh, we would never lose sight of these things, that we would take these lessons and do something with them because that's why they have been preserved and that's why we have been exposed to them. And this is why you have given us your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. If you're listening and you have never opened your heart to Christ, you are arguing with him. You are disagreeing with him. You are against him. But he still offers you salvation. He says, we can make this right. We can have fellowship and friendship. If you would just come and not resist. You know you're a sinner. You know there's nowhere else to go to have your sin dealt with. Christ has never called us to follow Christians in this sense. He's called us to follow him. And so if you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then make this prayer with me now and God will receive you. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I come to you. No one else is worthy. No one else died for me and rose again. No one else could do these things. I come to you and no one else, and I ask you to forgive me this day of my sin and my sins. And I ask that from this day forward, you would be not only the one that saves my soul from judgment for breaking your commandments, but the one who rules over my life as my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made that prayer this morning, may they not be ashamed of it. May they be very much ready to listen to you, to receive from you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.